Oncology Systems Limited are the leading provider of radiotherapy ancillary equipment in the UK and Ireland. Serving the community for over 22 years, we pride ourselves on exceptional service and quality products. Please take a moment to visit our website, www.osl.uk.com, and take a look at our product line, which include macromedics for patient immobilisation and IBA symmetry for all your radiotherapy quality assurance needs. We are more than happy to take your questions, so please do get in touch via our website or email inquiry at osl.uk.com and one of our specialist team will be available to assist you. Hello everyone and welcome to RadChat, the first therapeutic radiog fellow to Oncology podcast. Welcome to podcast number 55. My name is Naaman Joker Anderson and I'm joined by my fellow host Joe McNamara. Hi everyone. A big thank you to our last guest, Nick Vernon, who discussed her experience of cancer and returning to work as an allied health professional with the NHS. If you haven't had a chance yet, please do go and take a listen. So, we're very excited to introduce our guest today, uh, Dame Laura Lees, and she is the CEO of Maggie's. Hi, Laura. How are you? Hi, very well. Um, lovely to be able to speak to you, Neiman and Joe, today. Thank you for joining us. Um, we're both huge fans of Maggie's. Uh, I work next door to one. I know Joe's been involved with lots of different Maggie's as well. Um, would you like to just tell us a bit about yourself in your current role? Yes, so um, I have the privilege of being the chief executive of Maggie's, but I suppose because I was the first employee of Maggie's, I've kind of grown up with the organisation as, it, as it's grown. But yeah, um, and, and my background is, I started off as a sort of cancer nurse, so when you walk into the Maggie's, um, I used to be that person that would welcome and show people around the kitchen table. Now I'm obviously involved in helping with the running of the, the business of Maggie's, the fundraising and, and, and the work that goes on across our 24 centres. Do you feel, Laura, that actually having that clinical background and having that experience of caring for cancer patients actually helps you as a CEO? Well, absolutely. Um, and I, would, I mean, I would say that, but I, I think... I think it helps me in all sorts of um, perspectives, partly because I started off my career as, a, as an NHS um, trained nurse and, you know, I worked in, um, in, in, in cancer. I did my oncology course training at St. Bartholomew's Hospital and I did my master's in cancer studies at, at, at Birmingham. So, so I've got that kind of clinical experience and I, and I love and value what the NHS does. So I think in terms of then moving over to running a, a charity, um, I'm running it from the perspective of caring and valuing and wanting to work in that very close partnership, which I think is essential to Maggie's um, effectiveness. And then I think because of my clinical background, um, I think I kind of understand the challenges of, of the job itself uh, and, and, the, and the challenges of people with cancer having seen it from... The, the, the hospital end of it and then also kind of what, what Maggie's end of it and then I hope I bring a kind of understanding to people when they come and work for Maggie's having come from the NHS what that transition is like and, and therefore can, can help support that and then I think I hope I can do a better job at communicating why Maggie's is so important because I'm coming at it from a perspective of, 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 um, of being that clinical person um, does it mean that a, a manager, a, a trained professional manager, couldn't do the job? I, I of course, they could, but um, I, I think it does give me some advantages. I think you're also the first person on our podcast to come on and have a daymood. 
Um, could you tell us a bit about that, please? <laughs> well, that was a bit shocking, yes. Um, well, as, as you can tell from my accent, I'm, I'm very Scottish. So when I got the letter, I had to actually Google to see what, what it was that I had been offered. And even then, I wasn't quite sure what that was. And so, yeah, rather shocking and surprising. And, and, um, and, and really just kind of great on behalf of kind of the recognition of the work of, of, of Maggie's really. So yeah, that's a, it's, a, it's, a funny, it's a funny thing being a dame. <laughs> a huge achievement and surely testimony to all the work that you put into Maggie's. Now, Naomi had said that we are huge fans of Maggie's. We have a wide audience who listens to Rad Chat. What is Maggie's? For anyone who's never heard of it, and maybe isn't within oncology, what, what does Maggie's do? Yeah. So Maggie's are, are places on hospital grounds um, as close to and adjacent to cancer centres as possible, um, based on what the land opportunities are. And they're, they're places for people with cancer and their family and friends to come in and get uh, psychological and emotional and practical support in conjunction and support of the kind of clinical technical treatment, the surgery, the chemotherapy, the radiotherapy, the immunotherapy that the hospital's delivering. And um, and so when you come into a Maggie Centre, you might come in right at the point of diagnosis, but you also might be using Maggie's when you've had a recurrence or you might be a family member using Maggie's if you've experienced um, a bereavement. So we work right from the start of the cancer experience through that survivorship space uh, and also then when people are living with more advanced disease. And we employ small teams of um, health professionals um, who are either cancer nurses by background or um, therapeutic radiographers um, or and, and clinical psychologists and we have a, um, a financial and debt management. So those are the kind of um, four main disciplines, if you like, with the, the, the cancer nurse or the therapeutic radiographer falling into our kind of our cancer support sort of bucket. Um, and so if you would come into Maggie's, you would be met by one of those health professionals and then we would then help work with you what is the right aspect of care that Maggie's can provide, whether or not that's, as I say, help with financials, help with um, dealing with your informational anxiety concerns, help with um, family support, um, etc. So in that whole gamut of psychosocial kind of care. Whenever I talk about Maggie's to any of my patients, I always say, if there's a delay on the machine, go and sit in Maggie's because it's a lot prettier and nicer and it's just a nice environment to be in and a lot more relaxing, um, especially in the winter. Can you talk us a bit about why they all look so beautiful compared to an NHS centre? Yeah. So wh where we were lucky is that um, Maggie, who was a patient um, of um, mine, I was a clinical nurse specialist and gave her her chemotherapy, who was um, a patient in um, the Western General Hospital, talked about how how the NHS was doing a brilliant job, um, and I was part of that kind of team in terms of her clinical care, but the, the bit that was missing was um, what else she could do to help herself and, and, and her family and friends. But within that, her and her husband came from an architectural design perspective, and she also talked about how the NHS was 
should be a EFP, it's my day at the hospital and I leave feeling better, but that because of the hospital environments, that often one left feeling more tired and dejected because of the strip lights and lack of views to gardens and landscapes. So she was committed from the outside, out, outset that our spaces should be should make you feel better, that when you come in they do a job of work of making you feel less anxious, that this is a place where you feel safe to talk about those difficult fears and, and, and anxieties. And I suppose my early experience was I didn't really think the environments mattered that much. I thought it was all about the quality of the, 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 the clinician. Um, um, but those same patients that I had been seeing for years in the breast unit came over to be the first visitors into Maggie's who told me stuff that, was, that they were facing and dealing with that they hadn't told me in the clinical environment. So it was something to do about the quality of the space um, and it was also something to do with um, how the space made them feel and, and obviously that sense that the space offered up a sense that there was time which often there isn't within the kind of NHS um, waiting environment. So the, 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 the buildings and the quality of that environment I think are, are part of our work so as well as our brilliant staff the, the buildings do a job of work for us and and I think if you've been in Neyman um, you'll know that they make you feel better too, don't they? So, so for our staff who are working in there day in, day out, here, who are hearing you know, the difficult challenges and stories that people are, can, are going through, I think they feel that the, the, the quality of the building and environment is, is supportive to them too. So it's, a, it's become a, a unique and important part of our care package, if you like, but I wasn't someone who understood that environments could make a difference to... Um, to, to staff's well-being as well as the, the user experience. Laura, we always see students wanting to go and have placements at Maggie's because when they have stressful times around assessments, they're like, I definitely think a time at Maggie's would be well spent. And I absolutely testify that it's because actually it's such a calming and relaxing space. And they get the time to talk to patients. Um, you know, even being in clinical and having a full waiting waiting room can be quite daunting. Whereas for Maggie's, you do get patients who automatically, you can see physically, patients' shoulders mm. relax and they kind of, they just carry themselves differently to how they are in that clinical space. And I think that allows students and healthcare professionals to have conversations that they wouldn't have within those clinical settings. Um, and I also notice that when I've been into Maggie's before, you have like aromatherapies or things going on and it just smells nice. It's just such a nice environment to be yeah. in. Um, it's very nice from that perspective. Um, in terms of kind of healthcare professionals referring patients or for any patients listening to this podcast, they're like, well, this just sounds absolutely amazing. How can I get referred to a Maggie's? What, what would people need to do or how can healthcare professionals refer patients? So I think it's um, it's just what Neyman described, really. You know, it, it, people make that first step to Maggie's because you, as a health professional working within the cancer centre, suggest, why don't you go over? And, and quite often people come to us on that first visit not quite sure of why they've come in other than they've been recommended. Um, but they usually leave feeling better um, and usually leave feeling that there's something else that they can come to Maggie's to do to help them, whether or not that's that they're not sleeping very well at night, 
um, and learning and joining a relaxation stress management course or whether or not it's simply um, a place to gather their thoughts and feelings post-treatment before going home. Um, so that referral from you within the cancer centre uh, as clinicians is, is really important because you're, you give people the confidence to make that first step in. But it is self-referral, and so, um, so we want people to not have to have that letter. They, we want people to sort of opt in rather than sort of opt out of that um, NHS um, perspective. And then we want people to then engage with what is the right bit of the programme to, to help themselves through the, 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 the cancer experience. But there, there's no question that the referral pathway from the hospital is, and, and the relationships, the trusting relationships that patients have with you is crucial. I think the self-referral side is great because obviously in psychological services, so counselling, it's usually encouraged that you self-refer so that it's not a task in a way, as we always do refer to different services in healthcare. But I know a slight caveat is sometimes people that I've had coming in for a treatment review, they're too scared to walk over by themselves because they don't, perhaps some of them, if they've had yeah. chemotherapy, actually had a lovely lady this week who was talking about this exact thing that... She said, well, actually, I look like a cancer patient, so I don't want to walk over there and walk in and everyone knows that I'm a cancer patient. I said, I understand that, but it is a charity specifically for people like you. But I'd, selfishly, I wanted to go so I could get a biscuit, but I did offer to walk her over <laughs> and I took her and actually just that initial introduction, that's all she needed. And then I, I could just slip away, get a biscuit and run back. So. And again, that's it's, it's I think that's a, I hope that's what the quality of the partnership working that um, we at Maggie's value so much about working with, with, with you as, 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 as the sort of health professional kind of um, person is you can make it easier for people to make that step in. And then I think your, your point is quite right, is, is people find it really difficult, I'm being referred to the clinical psychologist, um, I, therefore I'm going to have therapy where in fact what people are needing is something sometimes a, a bit simpler and a bit more basic um, uh, and, and, and it's time and being listened to and, um, and if, you, if you like Maggie's offers the four, four levels of psychological support but rather than it being offered with a, here's your six sessions to refer to your clinical psychologist it's being offered within, yes, you can see a clinical psychologist at Maggie's, but you can also get the peer support by having that cup of tea sitting at the kitchen table, realising you're, you're not alone. Um, you can get your financial worries sorted out. So it's, 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 it's integral um, psychosocial care as opposed to a, a singular referral pathway. And I think that's why I hope that the Maggie's psychosocial model is more effective because of that integration and partnership um, uh, sort of, uh, of working. And, you know, the cup of tea is really part of it because, you know, while the kettle's boiling, it's, 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 like, the, it's like driving the car moment with the teenager. You know, you're, you're boiling a kettle, you're doing something, then you're sitting down. You're choosing what kind of tea you want. It's, it, it's, not, it's not that Maggie's is a tea shop. It's, it's actually quite an obvious mechanism to help people feel the physical body language of alongside as opposed to when they come into the clinic to see the consultant it's you know it's it's a scary physical power dynamic and the kettle boiling takes a few minutes you know in the new world of kitchens you can get these you know automatic hot water coming out we don't want those because we like the time that the kettle takes to boil as part of 
that making that human connection that then is a, is a thread of that trusting and um, and the handover that you that you do. I love the ethos of the kitchen table. If anyone's ever been to a dinner party or a party, you always end up talking in the kitchen as well, don't you? So you have all these fancy chairs inside. But and we've never had any complaints about people having those initial conversations of not having enough privacy. I mean, obviously, we do have private rooms where we can close the door and. Um, and, and have private conversations. But they themselves, when you're starting a relationship with someone, can be threatening. So actually that kind of open plan, um, what is the right place to sit, in a way that, again, when you have a guest come into your house, you think about where would be the right place for them to sit. So it's, it's, it's not having everything so formulaic that you aren't thoughtful about that... that um, seating arrangement um, where the conversation can best take place um, and as you know there's no signs in Maggie's so um, if a door is closed people just respect that there's a group or an activity happening behind it if the door is open they know that that space is free for them to use and so that de-institutionalizing what and, and, I, and, and I think this is where Maggie's often gets misunderstood is absolutely respect and have full regard for the for the brilliant um, factor, if you like, that the NHS has, because you're having to process a large amount of people efficiently, effectively, safely, um, and that Maggie's is just there to offer that kind of softer space, and it's not in competition, it's not because, you know, we're better at something over you, it's just, it's just the nature of our jobs are slightly different, and we've got different environments to, 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 to do it. Laura, are you finding that the demands on Maggie's services have increased a lot with, you know, the financial implications of post-pandemic and rising living costs at the moment? I know certainly from patients that I've been speaking to, they're struggling a lot more, not just financially, but just generally accessing services. Are you finding that's putting a strain on, on what support Maggie's is offering as well? I, I think we've definitely seen through COVID a change of... Um, heightened anxiety and distress. Um, partly that's um, the, the, the carers, the relatives who haven't been able to come into the hospital and haven't been able to be part of the, um, the treatment plan, um, seeing where, you know, sitting beside them when they're getting their chemotherapy. So, so I think for the relatives, there's been a real kind of, um, that again, Maggie's been in place for them to feel like they, they're still part of um, what's going on for their loved one. I think obviously we've seen the later diagnosis coming through. I think that's beginning to recalibrate, but it's still, people have got very difficult stories that, they've, that they need to process on how they've got to you for their clinical cancer treatment. Um, so there's, there's definitely heightened anxiety and distress there. And, and absolutely the cost of living has, ha, is having an enormous um, concern and worry for, for people about their, their jobs, their livelihoods, their, their capacity to sort of pay their bills. So there's no question that our financial um, benefits advisors and helping people manage debt, because cancer brings an increased financial commitment, you know, whether it's their travel costs to come to their treatment. Um, um, I mean, obviously we're in summer at the moment having this conversation, but we know in winter, you know, just the, the nature of people's treatments mean that they feel the cold, they're more sensitive. Um, that all has a knock-on effect in this society that we're, you know, ch challenged with at the moment. So, so yeah, 
and you're obviously hearing it yourself from patients that you're you're looking after yeah definitely i've had a patient recently who couldn't afford to top up his phone but put all of his clinical notes online or in an app so he couldn't get the internet but he's been going to maggie's to use the free computer but that kind of bridges the gap a little bit and that that was quite nice to see it's sad to see but at least there's some things that he can get all of his follow-up letters and notes so i know maggie's sorry go on well, I think that digital piece is a really interesting one because obviously as we went into COVID, you know, we took a lot of our group work, you know, we were able to stay open and continue to do individual work, but we took all our group work online. But everyone sort of talked about the, the importance and the need of face-to-face and and I think, you, you know, there's, there's a lot to be benefited from in terms of digital um, information, clinic appointments being done over the telephone. But we do need to think about the fact that people often don't have private rooms, that people don't have um, um, data <laughs> to be able to just do a, a FaceTime um, phone call. And people are sharing machinery within a family. So it's so I think that, and, and, and I mean, I'm afraid it is one of the things that, you know, we have had people come into Maggie's who've had their diagnosis, you know, whilst driving their car because is a phone call and so so then they're having to process the kind of distress of not having had that through a person so I think that digital social socioeconomic impact I think as we move forward with digital delivery which I'm all for it it's, it's a positive in many regards but we need to be really sensitive to the to, to the whether or not the individual can support it and <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm sorry your patient that you were talking to had that impact but yeah we have to then help them with how to navigate it don't we so in terms of they used to bring me a biscuit though so (laughs) (laughs) i think i'm counting up how many biscuits you've had name in it maggie's (laughs) i was gonna say if your uh, expenditure goes up in the next few months you'll know why it's because naaman's taking breaks at maggie's Um, just in terms of the, <laughs> what patients can expect, we've kind of explained a little bit about some of the services they can access, but I also mm. am aware of some of the groups and, um, you know, lots of variations around whether or not that's an exercise group. You know, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about maybe some of the things that patients may be able to access from their local Maggie's? Yeah, so we have um, a series of what we would call a sort of psychoeducational groups. So we have getting started with chemotherapy, radiotherapy and immunotherapy, which we do in partnership with um, um, the, the, the hospital. We then have a course for people when they're finishing their treatment called Where Now. Um, so again, that's issues of how to deal with anxiety and worry of recurrence, getting back to work, what's, what's the new normal, um, having been loved with that intensive relationship that they've had with the hospital, that feeling of, you, you know, abandonment for for good reason but how to, how to adjust to that um we also do relaxation stress management courses again helping people and mindfulness so those are the kind of sort of psychoeducational and then we have disease specific groups um are really important for for example men with prostate cancer coming together where they can more freely talk about the psychosexual um um body image changes they find that easier to do it in a kind of all men setting um, we have bladder cancer groups, head and neck, again, where the, there's very specific 
um, threads that, that coming in are disease-specific. And then we have sort of emotional supportive groups that our psychologists run, which are for young women or for, um, again, naming at your centre at West London, they have a group for people who are alone. So they, you know, they haven't got a partner. So that older, um, and I feel very passionate, Maggie, is that we remember that older person going through cancer who often don't have the same family support. Um, so we, so we kind of um, have different groups to support the different kind of um, aspects of of the communities that um, that, that 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 need us, um, and hopefully then respond to what the, the the community that's coming through the Maggie's doors um, sort of needs are. And that that is also about working in partnership with the other cancer charities. So the the bladder cancer char um, groups we work with um, a charity called Fighting Bl um, uh, um, uh, Bladder Cancer, um, Prostate Cancer UK um, work closely with them. So that 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 cross partnership working um, with the charity sector is really important too, because we've got this brilliant venue and and great staff to to facilitate those groups, um, which they don't often have. Do you find that certain centres have specific demographics of people who come through or specific types of patients? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we've obviously got some centres that in, are in lower socioeconomic. Um, so we've got a centre in, in Oldham, um, which has a very diverse um, ethnic mix, but also um, um, of the lowest socioeconomic out of many of our centres. We've got one in Lanarkshire. Um, where you know the average life expectancy for a man is is about sixty five, um, so you know you you you've got we've got a, a, a sort of variety, um, so and and you have to make sure that the centres therefore flex their program and the mix of their program to to to, to reflect that. Um, again, even just thinking about your centre that you're adjacent to, West London, you know they work in partnership with two very local charities. Um, uh, a Chinese cancer care charity, um, um, the local Polish community to make sure that the the the, 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 the Polish community come in, and also um, a Black cancer care charity. So again, making sure that the the diversity of because um, I think people often m might wonder that Maggie's is a middle class female. Um, uh, charity and it, it absolutely isn't and I think we get misunderstood for that because of the quality of the building um, but in our West London Centre it's 50% women to 50% men which it should be um, uh, um, the, the ethnic diversity of the West London Centre as an example is it, it's 19% I mean the area of Hammersmith and Fulham is um, I, th I think the council would say it's about 33-34% so it's got a bit more work to do um, but it, 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 you know, the centres aren't are, are, are covering a kind of wide range of of of, of society. Um, we do know though that people going through cancer through the private sector route is increasing because of the impact of COVID. So we just need to be mindful that sometimes when people are having private care, um, they're not necessarily affluent in the sense that yes they're affluent enough to afford a, a, a consultant's consultation but they're they're sometimes doing so out of desperation and, and anxiety too. I think from what I'm understanding Laura the West London Centre is your favourite Maggie's? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, it's um, I started my my life at Maggie's in Edinburgh. So if if I'm really pushed, that is the centre that I have because um, I have a very strong connection to. Um, but yeah, I'm quite fond of West London um, too. But I've got no favourites. I love them all. <laughs> <laughs> but, what... but you're you're right about that. They are all nuanced slightly different um based on the 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 the, 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 the cultural community um that, that they need to serve how did you find kind of engaging with different communities as you said obviously there's different demographic areas across the country um how does it take the a patient to come in for that kind of link to happen or as maggie's engaged with the community so obviously language can be a barrier as well yeah so I think um, certainly as, as you're moving in with the younger generation, that language barrier starts to um, pair away. Do you know, one of the most important ways of getting the diverse group of people coming through Maggie's is by working with the different um, clinician groups for the different cancer types. So, um, you know, making sure we've got relationships with the lung team, making sure we've got relationships with the, the, the head and neck team, making sure um, probably the most difficult team to build relationships with is the surgical team. Um, um, so it, it, it's building those, those different um, disease specific is, is, is actually probably the most crucial way to, to ensuring that, that, that we get that diversity coming through the, through the centres. Um, and then also making sure that I talked about the older adult often it, from the hospital's perspective they're often not seen as necessarily as in need of support because they're not you know they've lived a longer life um, their treatments are perhaps not as technical and as complicated um, um, but we have to s still make sure that they, they, they can often still feel a, um, a sense of um, low mood and anxiety and would benefit from Maggie's work so it, it's it's also about sharing that that we're as much for that group as as for the young woman with um who's had major cervical surgery and has children um etc so it's, it's, it's a bit of us doing an education back to to you guys um too yeah and i think actually supporting the bystander known a few people who have died from cancer but their loved ones still go to maggie's just for that peer support because obviously the grieving process will be different for everyone but that's quite a crucial element of bereavement as well. And I, th I know Maggie's has supported a few people that I know through that. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think that is one of the things that's sort of slightly unusual about what we do, but if you've had a relationship and, you know, all of us who work in cancer, I mean, one of the things that is wonderful, isn't it, about working in cancer is that you get to have these long-term relationships with people. And very sadly, often you know people come back, um, um, and so why wouldn't you continue to you know support the the family member who's been using you in that that post bereavement um, uh, um, space because you you know you've 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 often known them and you've known the partner that they might have lost um, as as well. But that's what what makes working in cancer such a such a privilege, isn't it? Is 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 the capacity to have have a, a deep and meaningful relationship with people over a long period of time. Yeah, really honing those interpersonal skills. Um, 
So, Laura, obviously, West London's your favourite centre. Where are the other centres in the UK? I didn't say that. I'm sure I didn't say that. Uh, and you're international as well, aren't you? Yes. We've got three centres overseas, one in Tokyo, one in Hong Kong, and one in Barcelona. And I think what's interesting about those centres, and I think, you know, so our Tokyo one is, you know, the, the, the health professionals who came and visited Maggie's planning that one said, oh, we're not sure it will work here. And I'm thinking, I remember, I wasn't sure that Maggie's would work in Scotland. You know, the reticent Scots person, they don't talk about their feelings. Um, um, but we, we are pretty much the same, you know, in terms of we might have some cultural nuances that we... So the, the person from Highlands, um, because we have a cancer support specialist who was in the West London who moved to our Highlands centre. Um, and what she said was it took longer to develop the relationship with the uh, um and to build that trusting relationship with the person in uh, in in inverness um, than it did in west london so it, it's you know there are nuances within different communities but the basic human response to cancer of feeling um a loss of control feelings a sense of aloneness feeling a bit of that hopelessness and helplessness that comes with a diagnosis that's universal isn't it um it's just making sure that we can relate to people so that we can we can help in an appropriate way with those 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 feelings how's maggie's funded um you know do you rely a lot on donations and and you know your the people that you're serving to help support you because it sounds like you do so much and it's an expensive service isn't it so um so we have small teams in our centres, but what I like to think about is that they are very skilled um, um, uh, cancer sort of experts, um, and um, and so also that 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 has uh, means an increased effectiveness. But you're absolutely right; we're completely funded on on the generosity of um, individuals, um, and you know this. British society of philanthropy is 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 extraordinary. So, you know, major donors often help us build our buildings um, to then local communities then support the operating costs of the centre um, through cake sales, runs, local companies. Um, and fundraising is a really interesting one. It's it, for, for some people it can be a really effective way of of, um, we know this word, the reciprocity, the giving and receiving, you know, the peer support that happens across the kitchen table. But fundraising is a, is, is a giving and receiving and can have kind of wonderful sort of um, um, joyous events. But, but yes, um, so every year we have to raise the money to keep our centres open and, and operational. Um, oh, thank you for sharing that. And I think it is... It is really good to promote the amazing work you do, but that actually, you know, it does require lots of people to be generous, and we will definitely share some of the some of the ways in which people can donate if they're listening to the podcast. Oh, thank you. So, what is next for Maggie's? You know, that things are changing within cancer care all the time. The pressures on the workforce and the healthcare system is changing changes to government how how's that going to impact on maggie's and maybe the future of the company going forwards and the charity going forward sorry 
Yeah, so um, so we so at Maggie's in Scotland, we are at all eight um, main hospitals across Scotland that deliver cancer care, and um, we've got um, a, the third, so we will have full coverage in Wales. So our, our overall mission is to is really in England, um, so that we can have an ambition to be at every cancer centre um, across England. So out of our 24 centres, 14 are in England. So we've, we've, we've got an awful lot more um, um, to do. So we're actively working in centres in Bristol, Coventry, um, 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 Maidstone. Um, we're under construction at the Royal Free um, and Northampton. We're hoping to start the construction of that centre at the end of this year. And then we've got a longer list of hospitals that we're working with and hope to um, bring those centres to to uh, to fruition. Um, and then I think in terms of, um, you know, we were very active at getting the, the folks at Maggie's to participate in the um, cancer review that Sajid Javid had started and I, I hope we'll, that work will continue and emerge. Um, I think we know, don't we, that um, that you working within the cancer centre and Maggie's in our role of providing cancer support, that we've got a 2030 problem where the numbers of cancers are continuing to go up. So although treatments are improving and survivorship, um, uh, hopefully post-COVID, you know, we'll start to make um, advances in. So the workload is only going to continue to rise for all of us. Um, and so it's, it's it's being about mindful about um, building a sustainable, um, you know, Maggie's is a is a business in the way that you know the NHS is of a sustainable charity that can continue to deliver the the, the care, not just for today but that twenty thirty um, uh, um, cancer population um, that's going forward. So. And that, and that means that our programmes will need to continue to evolve, both to support the, the, the survivorship issues, but also, I mean, the brilliant impact of breast cancer. We know that people are living longer in that advanced disease stage, that five, ten year period. Um, but then that is what's also leading to the increase of mental health distress within the cancer community. Um, because when I was a cancer nurse, you know, 25 so, or so years ago, you know, often when people's cancer came back, they didn't live long enough for the for the impact of the cancer and the treatments to fully impact on them. So that's why we're also seeing that increase of mental health across society at large. But we are seeing it in in our in our cancer community. So I think we you know we do need to invest in in in, in that area of, of of care too, as well as diagnostics, therapeutics, um, immunotherapy, etc. It's interesting. I think it was today there was a statistic out that there's the highest number of people accessing mental health support or being prescribed mm. antidepressants, basically off the back of COVID. Yeah. And uh, that's something that's always been within the cancer field for a while anyway, but now in the general population as well. So it, it's interesting and it is one of the things that needs to be tackled. And I don't think we talk enough about... Um, we, we, we talk about kind of cancer being tough for folks, but we don't really haven't really couched it within... The mental health challenge of uh, a diagnosis of cancer, living with cancer, living with with prolonged ad advanced disease as, as cancer moves into that more chronic sort of space. And um, and I think the more we do so, I think the more we kind of 
again can help people get the get the help that they need because <laughs> um, we often can focus so much on on, on we've got the treatment done but you know you'll know you know colorectal cancers you know you can give someone curative treatment but they're left with profound um, uh, uh, altered um, sexual dysfunction altered bowel function that can can massively affect their ongoing um, life um, and so although they're grateful for the cure there's there's another aspect of, of living that is um, is is just a reality yeah, it's the quality of life to live with and beyond mm. cancer. I think one example, just to quickly touch on, which I know, Joe, you've mentioned to me before about your experience is just getting a, a phone call once you finish treatment, but with a withheld number. That's always been a trigger for people. It's little things like that, that in-house healthcare providers, we could change. You can use a phone that doesn't come, as, come up as withheld, sorry. Yeah. Or then like scanxiety, that's something that every year some patients will go through before a blood test. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, yeah, that uh, is it going to be bad news? <laughs> um, it's it's just a reality for people. Um, so it's not just getting to the five years and your your cure tick, but you might be at the five years and still living with the ramifications. And we we saw that in the brilliant, actually really good program that was in Horizon recently that Hannah Fry talked about the kind of the data, the making the decisions, and you know, there she is post her cervical surgery with a one in 10 chance of, of, of not getting a recurrence. But she's got, um, as a young woman, um, you know, leg lymphedema. Um, and is, that was the thing that made her cry, not, not, not the cancer diagnosis and not, and not the surgery itself, but the, 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 the long-term complications, permanent complications of her curative surgery. Um, Laura, how does everyone who works at Maggie's look after themselves with all these conversations? <laughs> so um, I think um, yeah, I read I read an article just recently about um, those of us that work in in cancer, the, the emotional labour. You know, there's the there's the technical and physical labour, isn't there? But it's 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 an it, it's it's an emotional. Um, uh, a job so I hope we well we give people good working environments we give staff ac access to tea and biscuits um, we um, um, there you go you said we, it we on the podcast now Laura <laughs> everyone has to offer everyone tea and biscuits <laughs> absolutely um, um, but we also in invest in um, in training so training people all our staff in 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 level one and two training. Um, we have weekly staff supervision that our clinical psychologist um, facilitates in each of our centres. Um, and so hopefully that supportive collegiate environment and time for staff to process and talk about, because um, I, I bet you in both of your jobs, you, you don't get much time to talk about uh, once a week, an hour and a half to sit down and just talk about how someone made you feel and and also to process what you could have maybe done better or differently which also helps you feel like your your next interaction with the next patient could 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 be more effective um, so focusing in on that that quality of supervision is is, is a crucial part of uh, um, so hopefully our staff do feel supportive and staff stay at Maggie's so I, I, 
Andrew, who runs our Edinburgh centres, he's been at Maggie's for 20 years. Shona is just who runs our Inverness centre, has been with us for 20 years. Sinead has been with us for a few years in West London. I think you're a testament to that as well, Laura. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's 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 remembering emotional labour has a, you know, it's 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 hard day in day out, and you need to have time to um, um, and and not only to be just trained, but you actually you need to have time on an ongoing regular basis to. Um, uh, to process it. We saw through COVID, wasn't it, about how being able to see nature, you know, you're working in radiotherapy, you know, you don't get, you know, you're lucky if through your clinical day you can see the changing circadian rhythm of the day. That That is, an, you know, has a massive effect on your psychological and well-being. So how to, you know, inject moments of nature, greenery, um, views, those are the things we need to be thinking more of. It's one of our standard questions to patients. How are you? How are you coping? What's the weather like outside? Because um, we rely on, on patients coming in and telling us that information. But you are absolutely right, I think, you know, from my perspective, and I know David will agree with me, but having some of the visual displays that have started to go on in radiotherapy now, we have the light boxes that have woodlands and things in it. And um, I know, I know, they're artificial, but it does. I do think it does make a little bit of a difference. Mm. Um, and having pot plants and things like that, fish tanks and things. <laughs> fish tanks, I think, have been around for years, haven't they? As a as a way to bring nature into clinical settings. But um, I definitely think it makes a difference when you're down ordinarily in a basement around radiotherapy. <laughs> yeah. So Laura. You did mention a little bit about kind of some of the tips and things that you would maybe give healthcare professionals. We always end our podcast episodes with some top tips. Have you get, got any top tips from your perspective as kind of running Maggie's um, to anyone who's listening? Um, well, I, I, I suppose as a kind of personal top tip for my own career, I, I moved out of being a, a, a cancer nurse with a you know, with what was a straight line trajectory and into a charity without really being that conscious about the move that I was making. But it, it has proved that I can I, I was still true to my my professional values and the things that I wanted to achieve. So I think top tip is, you know, do think about um, how you can continue to build on your technical, clinical, brilliant skills and that there are other other areas within cancer that you can also contribute and make a difference and and certainly um you know i mentioned shona Inverness. she she runs our our center and is a therapeutic radiographer by background um so i think um i think being open to opportunities i mean i um that you can change things um and um and relationship building. Um, I, I think the magic comes in life, not just, we talked about the, 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 the wonderfulness of the relationship with the, 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 the cancer patient and their family, but actually relationships with uh, colleagues and, 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 and that partnership working. Um, they're not easy when you're busy and you're, you're um, but there's so much more fun when you, when you build good long-term relationships. and. Why is Maggie's at the 24 sites that we're at? It's because you guys asked us to come 
you invested time and energy in making that happen and we've got good quality relationships um, on the ground and when I look at the new NHS structures of the ICAs and, or ICBs or whatever they are, I think for us what matters is our centre's relationship with, with the clinicians that are adjacent um, across not, the, not necessarily the, 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 the bigger um, the structures. That's, that's what will make a difference to patients' lives. I've rambled there. I'm not quite sure it was a succinct um, top tip, but, uh, but relationships are key, aren't they? And they make life so much more richer and interesting. Especially when you let us steal your biscuits. Always helps. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to send you a bill. Uh, what, what biscuits do you particularly like, Neiman? I'm not telling you because then you'll know which ones are missing. <laughs> <laughs> so the custard creams, perhaps? Or the, Whatever I'm Actually, allowed. there was Jaffa cakes the other day. There was, yeah. Uh, Sinead knows. She's the local one. She knows when I'm around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to find out. And I'll, I think we'll have to post on this uh, chat, won't we? Definitely. Um, I think it's interesting what you mentioned about the environment, just, just thinking how different it could be if I did a treatment review in a room that didn't look like an old 1980s horrible clinic room. It would make a lot of difference, especially in radiotherapy with the artificial light. Um, I mm. think just having a window would be quite nice to break it up. But yeah, thank you so much for the top tips. Um, but yeah, thank you to everyone for listening to Rad Chat. Uh, your hosts today have been Nathan Jorka Anderson and Joe McNamara huge thank you again to our guest dame laura lee um, if you utilize this podcast for cpd purposes please consider the reflective questions posted uh, along with links to resources and any literature that we've discussed to complete uh, to receive your accredited cpd certificate please complete the google form link with the podcast so our next guest to feature will be dr hazel rodden who will be discussing her amazing career and uh, how allied health professionals can get into research so thank you very much for listening and take care